Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, editor Christian Berg. All right, welcome back to the Bow Hunting Podcast. We are all bow hunting all the time, and sometimes we're the the podcast of technical difficulties, right, Frank? Yes, indeed. Oh my goodness! Today, uh, after about thirty minutes of trial and error, I finally have our guest, uh, Mister Frank McDonough, and. Today, I'm actually looking forward to the conversation, Frank, because for those who don't know, you know, if you're just a bow hunter, I wouldn't say that you've necessarily heard of Frank, but if you're a traditional archer, you probably have. So for all you trad folks out there, you probably know a Frank. And for those of you who don't know a Frank, you're going to be glad that you do after today's episode. How's that, buddy? Pumping your tires enough? Uh, I would say so. I will. I will quickly throw in a disclaimer. Barabow archery has definitely become my my the backbone of everything that I have been involved with. The trad community will delineate between Barabow and trad, and I want to give homage to them because you go out to Etar. Do you know what Etar is, Christian? I Eastern know. traditional. Yeah. Okay. Eastern traditional archery rendezvous. Listen, there's like 9,000 trad archers there, and there's a lot there that probably never heard of me. But they're like old-timers shooting wood bow, self-bow, stuff like that. And uh, it's definitely, there's definitely a, a a community, a very wide community base there. So I will say that. I don't, I don't gotcha. want to take away from that trad word. It's got a lot of teeth and grit to it, you know? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, forgive me, because you've forgotten more about traditional archery than I'll probably ever know. Uh, I have a few stick bows and they're fun to play with, but to say that I've, I mean, I actually killed a pig with one. Uh, oh, one really? time. Nice. Yeah, which was fun, but we ran it with dogs so I could get really close down in Florida, which was great. I mean, it's sure. really fast paced excitement, but uh, hey, that's not what we're here to talk about. I want to start by teasing the conversation and where I think it's gonna go. And then after we do that, I want to give you a chance to kind of set the stage with some of your accomplishments. But Frank, and we'll get into this during the show today, Frank has an education background. He works in education. And Frank also, in addition to being a pretty accomplished barebow tournament shooter and a very, very passionate bow hunter, has done a lot of archery coaching. And Frank and I were talking the other day. He he doesn't live too far from me here in Pennsylvania. And we've been friends and known each other for quite a while now. We got to talking about this whole idea of taking the student's approach, not just to archery, but to bow hunting. And kind of like, wow, everything that you do coaching your students to become better archers and like, how cool would it be if we had a, a quote, bow hunting coach? So that's kind of where I want to go today. But before we dive in, I do want you to set the stage because, again, Frank, you know, you're not, you know, you're not necessarily a household name with all the bow hunters of America, but you certainly sure. are a, a pretty accomplished bow hunter. But you've done a bunch in that bare bow world. And I listen, I know you're a humble guy. You don't want to brag. But could you just give us all a sense for those who are like, who is this dude? Like, <laughs> how long have you been shooting? And and just kind of hit a few of the highlights of the things that you've been able to do in archery. Sure. So 
I started archery literally at two years old. Um, so I've been around the sport a long time. I've uh, 43 years to be exact and uh, started competing at a very young age, but you know, competed, uh, had a very successful youth um, experience, um, national podium, state championships, all that stuff. But those are dime a dozen. There's a lot of those people out there. Um, and kudos to all of them that, that work hard and, and get those accomplishments. Um, later in life, you know, just kind of stepped back from competing, turned into a bow hunter. But as my kids got a little bit older, I really wanted to dive back into, into archery because I had gotten into coaching and sports and other things and um, became a state fire academy instructor, stuff like that, like all of my pastime. And then I opened a, a, a training center here locally, um, like, I don't know, somewhere like around 2014, 2015. And just the one thing kept leading to another, leading to another, started coaching, had some really successful coaching experiences, started competing um, again on a regular basis and started back with compound right away. Came back in, boom, boom, started shooting um, freestyle or, or open compound class and was having some good success. I mean, it's like riding a bike, you know. But then from the coaching aspect, because I'm a competitor in all aspects, I was like, man, I want to learn more. I want to know more. I want to be able to coach all the different disciplines. So I started shooting Olympic recurve again, had some really good success on the USA archery, uh, Lancaster archery classic side of the competition world in six months, like went from not touching a bow for Olympic recurve forever. Meanwhile, competing you know, I think I was like top 20 in the country for indoor that year. And I was in the top 15 at Lancaster for Olympic recurve. And then um, coaching wise, again, being the competitor, I was like, I want knowledge. I want education. I want to learn from these people. I know you've spoken to Larry Wise before. Larry Wise is my mentor, compound coach, just let mentor coach in general and very good friend, um, you know, and just continue to improve on those aspects. So I switched to Barabow and I got my USA Archery level four coaching certification, uh, level four NTS certification, and really started to kind of worry less about competing and more about coaching. And then I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're probably in a ballpark of like, I think 16 national champions between S3DA and USA Archery. Um, I think at one point in time, one young lady that I coached, she was now shooting for the University of Pikeville on a full ride. Maggie Brensinger, shout out to her. Um, she she held nine world records. Um, and like then my coaching success with eventually starting the podcast, The Barebow Project, just and then it just blew up after that I had more helping more and more shooters multiple national champions um and just really trying to redefine the coaching side of barebow and traditional archery not just the trad world of you know wood bows and then that turned into hey let's start hunting with a trad bow again and then that you know and i realized how much more from a compound respect um, as a bow hunter, how much more work I had to put in to be an, um, a successful traditional bow hunter. And I was like, just from a shooting perspective and a, um, an accuracy and confidence perspective of, of everything that had to go correct. And um, that's where this conversation sort of led to with you. because so we were talking about that from, from a coaching perspective. And I don't want to say coaching perspective 
nest like like if I had to think of a, a bow hunting coach that can get you close to deer and create habitat for deer and stuff, like I'm I might not necessarily have all of those tools because I certainly didn't learn those coaching other people. But I, when it comes to the what, where, and when of of making an accurate shot and the mindset that goes into making that accurate shot, I think that's the direction our conversation sort of started going um, because it has so many so much carryover to standing on the stage at the Lancaster Archery Classic and trying to shoot in front of thousands of people and on on live stream like there. And you've heard other competitive shooters talk about that. I've done podcasts with quite a few of them. They're like, the process is still the same. Whether I'm shooting an arrow in the middle of a target or I'm trying to kill an animal, the process of the shot is still the same. And that's the mindset that we have, that it's I'm just here to make the right, uh, um, to make a good shot. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit, um, you know, and I think, though, it's good to be humble when you know that maybe you don't know something, because I figure if I don't know, maybe a bunch of the people who are listening don't know, you use that term barebow. uh, That's a class of shooting, right? And so what exactly defines barebow when we're talking about competing barebow? Gotcha. So in the in the competition world of archery, um, you have compound and compound is typically has a subdivision bow hunter. So compound, we're talking uh, men's open or freestyle like NFAA, National Field Archery Association. Um, you have uh, scope, long stabilizers, all that jazz. You have the bow hunter side. Pins only, short stabilizers, you're allowed a sidebar. Well, there's other two classes that go along there too. Olympic recurve. So it's a uh, an ILF, International Limb Fit Riser and Limbs, similar to the open class for compound or freestyle, long, long uh, a sight with a pin, long stabilizers. Right. Then you have bare bow. Bare bow is essentially the same type of bow as Olympic recurve, minus some, some companies make them with specific bare bow um, properties, but um, it's essentially an ILF, International Limb Fit Riser, um limbs and um no sights so you're aiming with the tip of the arrow and gotcha. there's what no about, release clicker go ahead any clicker? no no clicker no release aid like it's 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 the class that you literally take target panic on head on like it's it's that class it it makes it really forces a competitive shooter to dive really really deep into shot process form and mental management just to be relatively successful and that's that's why it it has so much carryover to other parts of of our of our sport and the hunting world because you really have to learn to be in the moment because you're dealing with target panic head on there's no clicker there's no draw check there's no nothing drop back hold the tip of the arrow in the middle and you need to sit and wait for that shot to happen. And it's very difficult to do. Well, and that's important. I mean, I appreciate your explanation because I think, you know, myself included, you know, if you just say the word barebow to a lot of people, we're probably thinking you got some Crap. old recurve or yep. or longbow and that's bare, you know, there's nothing on it, but maybe a little yep. piece of leather, you know, and you're shooting. Yeah, no, that. you're right. Yeah. You're 100% right. I mean, and, and the, in the traditional archery world, they do, there is a, 
um, they do delineate between the two. Barebow is typically a metal riser and wood or ceramic carbon right. limbs, whatever. So, so, Whereas, so you're shooting, you're shooting the same kind of a bow that we might think of, you know, like that Casey Caulfield is shooting at the right. Olympics. You just don't have a sight on there. You don't have yeah. a clicker. Competitively. Uh, yes. Yeah. Correct. Yep. So hunting wise, oh, I shot a black widow. That's, that's a, that's a wood bow. It's a, oh, that, sure. You know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and is that, yeah, well, we don't want to jump too far ahead, but the point is, no. so, so bear bow, when, when you say that it's still sort of a, it's a modern bow, if you will, it just yeah. doesn't, it just doesn't have any accoutrements and, and it's all your brain. You're calculating every shot with your brain. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not it that, just there's not a that lot the of, other people aren't, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Oh, they definitely are. Yeah. No, no, I don't want to. I've shot all of them um, competitively and, and coached them all uh, to relative success. And I will say, you can't take away all disciplines have their level of difficulty, but there is no question that barebow is is like is definitely from a competitive standpoint, barebow is the the harder one of the three. Gotcha. No and, question. And, and you know the so the thing is right is obviously you know i've shown my ignorance right i know very little about that game and and most of the people right who are listening are probably compound bow hunters like i am and so they're maybe thinking okay guys what's in it for me you know but here's the thing frank touched on it why first of all you know we're heading into the off season you know late seasons are winding down it's going to be like indoor. We're kind of coming into the prime of indoor, right? It's it's the time for your local league at your local pro shop or your archery club. And then we've got the bigger shoots like the Lancaster Classic and Vegas just around the corner. So, I mean, if you're into that sort of stuff, this is good timing for that. But if you're just what I'll call, what I call myself, a quote, regular bow honor, you know, because, mm -hmm. hey, you know, I'm just a regular bow hunter like everybody else. And I, but a, but I want to be efficient, right? I want to capitalize on my opportunities. And it's that mindset, Frank, that you mentioned earlier. There's so many parallels. The, the, the technique is going to be somewhat different between, you know, competing bear bow versus shooting your compound. But the mindset, the discipline, the going through the process the same way every time, time after time, that's all gold right there. Yeah, literally, pun intended, all gold if you do it correctly. But you you have to be able to, I guess that's where I try to talk to guys like you say, like you're a regular bow hunter. And there's a lot of regular, maybe semi-regular bow hunters that only pick up the bow two months, three months before the season. There's people who shoot relative like local stuff, local indoor 3Ds during the winter, but that's all they do. And a lot of people don't like to shoot the paper targets because it's it can be considered boring in, in some regards. But we talked about that mental process or that the mental um, commitment to shooting competitively and how that carries over to bow hunting. If you are able to stand on a shooting line and keep your wits and attention about you to shoot 60 arrows in a row as perfect as possible, potentially hit that X 60 times. And that does happen. That absolutely does happen um, in the current state of the sport as it is the 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 tenacity and commitment it takes to do that 
carries over to the tree stand 100% because the mindset just as ingrained in you as a shooter that whether that what no matter what animal is standing in front of you that's the commitment to the shot that's going to ultimately produce favorable results outside of uncontrolled things like if the deer moves or whatever the animal is you're hunting um you know and and other stuff like that but yeah it's it's definitely um i think my child is coming home from school i apologize if you hear some noise in the background <laughs> no that's fine uh, I, I but i like what you said because you know you talked about it it's the same approach like think about you know um punch and paper if you will okay 20 yards yep. standing there shooting the the target face you know and going for that x-ring like I mean, I'm a halfway decent shot. I can stand there and hit it a few times. But sure. like to to your point, hit it, you know, 60 times in a row. That yeah. is a whole different level of mental discipline. And, you know, yeah, I mean, if you look at it uh, from a 10,000 foot view, I guess you could say, oh, yeah, it's not that exciting, punch and paper. But when you get mm -hmm. down to the 10 foot view, right? And you're like, no, no, it's all about like the mental discipline and the physical stamina and the, you know, the intense focus and training myself to get into that zone and stay there for, you know, however long it takes to shoot, you know, every end and then every round. And then if you advance to kind of be able to decompress and then ramp yourself up again, right? To come back because, hey, that's part of, that's, again, you talk about parallels with bow hunting, Frank. You know, you go through a qualification round in a tournament and you do really well. Well, that's all well and good. But how many people who are seated like near the top or at the top in the qualification round don't win squat? You know, at the end of the day, because you have to be able to take that and carry it over, you know, yeah, to, to, the, to the next round. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it Admittedly, though, like when you do the head to head stuff and this is maybe a little outside the scope of the conversation, head to head stuff like it's a little bit of a crapshoot. Anybody can hit a hot run. And the person who led the entire, you know, number one qualifier, then all of a sudden, um, you know, things ha can happen and somebody can just hit a hot streak and then that hot streak goes away. But, um, it's still, you know, having, again, it's that tenacity, that commitment, that mental commitment, the commitment 12 months of the year to making that one good arrow work, but being able to take that one good arrow and duplicate it into 60 arrows or 72 arrows or 144 arrows, whatever tournament format you shoot. Um, it just makes you a better bow hunter. And then when you when you get with a coach, and this is some of the stuff we talked about on other topics, having some self-evaluation about what can I do better as a shooter that's going to make me more comfortable, more confident when that moment comes. Does that mean I need to have someone else evaluate me and see, like, am I in a good full draw holding position? Am I really uh in a in a effective way am i activating my release with back tension am i you know anchoring in a consistent and precise way that i don't have a whole bunch of extra movement coming into full draw you know having that self-reflection on where do i 
where and how can I go outside of the box of the regular bow hunter and become a better bow hunter? And I guess that like, that's kind of the direction that the conversation initially went when we were just having a personal conversation. And I was like, you know, you, anything you do that adds confidence to your ability to be more effective with your equipment when you're hunting makes you a better bow hunter. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, uh, let's give a little peek behind the, the curtain because that's fun. You know, you talked about, we were talking about some things in a different context. So, you know, little fun facts about Frank and I is we both are a PIAA basketball officials. Frank's been doing it for a long time. And he's yeah. he's refed a lot of big games in our area over the years. And I'm only in my second year. I kind of picked pick this up with my own kids getting older, kind of aging out of, you know, high school sports and just kind of a way to get some exercise and be in the gym and, and have some fun. But you were giving me some feedback the other day. Your son was playing in a JV game that I was that officiating. officiating. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and you gave me some constructive criticism after the game. And I really appreciated it because, you know, you want to continually get better and refine your craft. And so with that, let, let's dive into the practical nitty gritty of what people can gain. You know, someone's been listening to us and they're thinking, all right, Frank, I'm a, I'm a halfway decent bow hunter. I've been doing this for a long time. You know, I'm probably a pretty decent shot, but I know I'm not everything that I could be. Or maybe I had a couple of things that I struggled with this year. Or maybe, because there's always some of these guys out there, and I was one in the past, maybe I really struggled with target panic this past fall. And I muffed, you know, a, a really big opportunity at a buck that I was after. Like, where do I start, Frank? Do I have to go hire a great coach like Frank McDonough? Or are there things that I can start doing uh, on my own to, to improve? I don't, I don't think that you necessarily have to hire a coach. However, you have to start with being honest with yourself. I don't, I think target panic. Um, I think a lot of compound and recreational compound at that shooters have a touch of target panic and they don't even know about it. I think a lot of guys that have a touch of target panic from a compound perspective can still shoot decent. But it's not until, and this is what I have I've seen firsthand, it's there that's those are guys that are shooting at 3D targets and animals only because they don't have a thing to actually aim at. But when you put a target in front of them, everything goes haywire because they have to let it sit in the middle of something and continue to properly execute the shot. And and that's where that's where a lot of a lot of regular bow hunters, as you called yourself, I don't know if that's a fair term, but um, a lot of those guys will try paper targets that will start to happen. And they're like, I, I don't need that. I don't want to deal with that. I'll just go back to doing what I do because it works. I still kill, I still harvest animals. I still, you know, put meat in the freezer. I'm still having relative success, but it doesn't, you're still, you're just sort of, sort of settling for, well, this is good enough instead of pursuing, well, this is going to make me better. So you work on your weakness. What is your weakness? Um, 
So that can come into forms of looking up YouTube. Um, you know, there's a lot of super useful tips from some personalities that are out there on YouTube. You I was going to say, I'm going to stop you right there because it's great to just throw that out. But I think that there's probably such a volume out there that it can be overwhelming. Uh, just, just, yeah. just kind of go in that direction. I was going to say, mention a couple people that you think are actually good and knowledgeable out there. Helpful. I mean, from from a compound perspective, uh, I'll give a a, sh a, a well-deserved shout out to guys like John Dudley, knock on our tree. He does, he has a, a, an excellent resource for competitive shooters. Um, Chris B has, some, has a very good YouTube page and going, dating back to earlier, you know, in his, um, in his career, when he was shooting more competitively, now he shoots for Matthews and, really just does more of the hunting and promotional stuff. Um, he's He has some good information. He's been around the game a long time. One of my favorite compound-related coaches slash personalities um, uh, is from Archery Learning Center. And, oh, my gosh, what is... You're having a brain cramp. You got to look him up I am, right now. I am. And I George Riles, just, I literally just talked to him the other day, but we're... We we're talking he's, about something he's been else. around a long time. Oh, yeah, a real long time. And if you look at Last Chance Archery, I think is the name of his YouTube page. I think that's what it is. Um, or you just look up George Riles. Last I was gonna say last chance archeries, they make gear, they make presses yeah, oh, yeah. and that's other his, equipment. Yeah. yeah, but I'm yeah. pretty sure that's or Archery Learning Center, it might be. I'm sorry, Archery Learning Center on YouTube. Um, I'll I'll double check that real quick. But at any rate, the He's probably one of the people that, and Larry Wise. I I, I can't believe I I skipped right over Larry there. Um, Archery Learning Center. I just want to double check that. Story. Yeah, I'll give a plug for Larry too. Larry's another Central Pennsylvania guy, and we did an article for Peterson's yeah. Bow Hunting going back a number of years. But like, it was kind of like this conversation in an article where that was the premise. I was, quote, you know, the regular bow hunter. Now, maybe, oh, I don't know if I'm, a, I'm not normal, so I'm probably not regular. But the point was, I went to Larry probably around this time of year or maybe a little further closer to spring, but, but it was like, Larry, you just watch me shoot. And then what do you think? Because it's like, hey, I can go out in the backyard every day and shoot and think, hey, that was pretty good. But when you get somebody like Larry, who's like, okay, now what about this? And what about that? And mm -hmm. honestly, in like one session, Larry was able to, you know, kind of tighten up a few things, give me a few things to think about where there is, it's amazing how much a few tweaks from someone who really understands the shot process can tighten yep. you up in a short period of time yeah larry's larry's kind of like taught me to have that same um that outlook when you're when you're working with a shooter to evaluate everything from biomechanics and the body position they're in to to the just process oriented tasks that are happening during the shot process. And, and one of the most common denominators that we would always see is that, that there's this tendency for bow hunters to be set up by your average Joe bow shop too short. There's just, there's this, it's just a common denominator that we see very often. 
um, they were told by somebody, you're 28 inch draw length. So every time they bought a bow, well, I'm 28 inches, just set it at that. But they don't take in account the way all bows feel. You can take a 20 inch bow on three different brands. They don't all feel the same. So that, and then people just get stuck in this rut of, well, I'm 28, I'm 28, I'm 28. And then, you know, bodies change, things change. Or if you're talking about kids, kids grow and they just don't keep up with that. And then eventually it just, it morphs into a bigger problem, which is sort of like where I had started leading with like the target panic discussion. Um, it's oftentimes improper form or equipment setup results in what I call negative tension. Negative tension is when you're not taking advantage of the, the biomechanics of your body, proper full draw position, you know, where that, where that draw arm elbow is way outside the arrow or that front bow arm is really, really bent. And you have to move your head into all kinds of ways, except for um, backwards in order to get into anchor and find the peep sight. We're doing all this extra stuff, trying to activate a shot. When in reality, because we're not in good biomechanical position, we can't really effectively get into our back to execute the arrow or execute the shot to let the bow do its job. Because that's all you are, right? You're just, the bow shoots the arrow perfect every time. We're the ones that screw it up. So the goal is to redefine or refine, uh, retune for lack of any other term, the way that we approach the shot so that the bow can do its job without any effect from us. Well, let's, uh, I mean, you hit on something really practical. There's something that anybody can do. Maybe we need to talk about it a little bit more, but check your draw length. You might need to adjust your draw length. And like you said, like I'm a 29, but just because I was a 29 on the bow I shot four years ago, doesn't mean I'm a 29 in the bow I'm shooting now. And now a guy like me, you know, nobody's going to feel sorry for me, but I have to shoot a bunch of new bows every year. Right. Oh, so, yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, so it's so tough. horrible, but, so horrible. but is each bow, if I set it at 29 inches and just go shoot it, am I really getting the most out of that? So how do I figure out how to get a bow set at just the right draw length? Yeah, I have, so I don't, I don't have, I still have my YouTube page. I don't have my brick and mortar training center anymore because I do everything online now, coaching and all that stuff. But um, I, I recorded a video about that on my YouTube page. It's called Grass Hollow Archery. You guys can look it up if you want to. But there's um, the notion of your body position at full draw, no matter what the bow is, should be the same every time. You shouldn't have excess excessive movement and from your head to your bow arm to everything. So that's where the coaching aspect comes into play. Your your um you raising the bow to draw and coming to full draw should look exactly the same, and all variables should be removed. That's where you find proper drawing. So shoulders um are parallel to the arrow, roughly from an overhead view that your elbow is behind or in, I would say in line with or behind the arrow at full draw and that that front bow arm is straight and stable, not hyperextended, a little tiny bit of a bend like Levi Morgan has a smidge of a bend. If you watch him shoot, he comes back to full draw and he's just that little tiny bit of a bend in his, in his bow arm. It's not the end of the world. It's good. It's it's there's there's room for expansion there. 
but you don't want it to be bent excessively. You want your shoulders back and down. You want to be in a strong full draw position. And most importantly, as you're coming in the, into anchor, you want to make sure that your head movement is minimal at best, zero if any, if possible. So when you come into anchor, boom, it's right there. That peep lines up right, right, right away. There's no dipping the head down. There's no moving the chin around. It's just right there. And most importantly, I should say, uh, maybe added to that last most important statement, is the head is over the shoulders, um, between the shoulders and over the spine. You want to be in that position. And I'll, I'm not going to lie to you. I have, I've heard Larry Wise say that to me and to other archers multiple times. That is not my original statement. That comes from Larry. Like I said, I've worked with Larry hand in hand, working with shooters. Larry comes to me for barebow stuff. I go to Larry in other in other capacities, and you know, it's that it's that notion of becoming um, the most repeatable bow hunter that you can that you can be, and shooting the highest volume of accurate arrows, quality over quantity, um, throughout the year, and that might mean going outside of your comfort zone of shooting at paper targets, shooting competitions that you do not necessarily fond of. But, you know, yeah. the only way to become good and to replace bad habits is to create good habits to replace them with. And that's what the goal is. And just to come back to where you, you, you know, you had a lot of good information there on the draw length, but if I could take that and try to boil it down into a nutshell, think about this for all of you who are listening You've been who have been shooting a bow for a while, right? You've been bow hunting for years. You've had different bows over the years. Think about your stance, your place at full draw. If you're underdrawn, right, you shouldn't happen to be, you know, hunching up, right, to yep. shorten yourself. You shouldn't yep. if you're if you're overdrawn, right. You shouldn't have to be like you say, getting that elbow bent, and you're you, you feel like you're trying to make yourself bigger than you are. If it's not comfortable. Yep. If you've got a like, like Frank said, if you if you're having a you know dip your head or tilt your head back or, or any of those things are a red flag that maybe a slight draw length adjustment could get you back into such a way more comfortable spot, and that comfort is also going to help you to be more consistent. And the great thing about bows nowadays, Frank, is there are very very few if any bows anymore that require a bow press to adjust draw length. Most people, yeah. if you have a set of Allen wrenches, you can play around with draw lengths all day out in the backyard and find the one that feels the best. And a lot of these newer bows, I mean, it's quarter inch, quarter inch increments anymore. Yeah. So like, there's no excuse for not having the right draw length. No, there really isn't. And that that I, might even be a reason why, um, you know, years ago, I'm talking 20, 30 years ago, even where it was like, oh, you had to buy new cams to change the draw length. And then it was mods. And now it's everything's all on one for the most part, with the exception of a few brands. That that, that might, might be one of the reasons why we adopted that. Like, oh, just get it set and leave it. And that's where you're going to be. Because nobody was like, oh, well, maybe my draw link isn't quite right. Or maybe my bow feels, you know, and they didn't want to buy new mods. They didn't want to buy new cams. And then just this, this thing carried over. And now we have to step back. We're starting to realize like, hey, we can pay more attention to other aspects of what, what's involved in us being bow hunters to 
to help us improve our ability to um, be more consistent as a bow hunter, to make better shots, make better decisions, recognize when the time is right to make the shot on an animal versus just kind of winging it. All right. I want to dive into something else. And this piggybacks right on having the draw length set right and being comfortable and like in the proper, like you said, proper biomechanical position at full draw. Now let's talk about two other things. Let off again. And again, we're talking compound now. So I know we're not talking your barrel. We kind of went outside of trad real quick, no, but that's okay. But I think this is, this is going to hit the, the majority of our listeners, right? Let's talk because on, by the way, just in case you were wondering, Frank, hunted with a compound the last couple of years because you actually yeah. have surgery coming up. You've had a I elbow issue. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's not like you don't know compound. Okay. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but let's talk about let off and also back wall because again, any more, and I'm trying to hit where the, the market is going, where the industry is going. If you look at flagship bows the last several years, and I see it more and more every year now, like the 24 is tons. Just about every bow you get now, you can adjust the let off, like anywhere from, say, 70 to 90%. Usually there's three or four, you know, 70, 75, 80, 85, whatever you want, and you can play with that. And then same thing, the back wall. A lot of bows, you know, there's cable stops like that are on the bow out of the box, but they come with limb stops. And so if you want to add those or take the cable stops out and just put the limb stops there, you know, so you can get that rock solid or with the cable stops, you can get a little spongy. And like maybe a lot of guys don't spend a lot of time thinking about this, Frank, but, and again, as a bow hunter, right? I mean, yeah, probably a little different for competition maybe than for bow hunting, but what's your feeling about how much, would you say a guy should play around with the different options that his bow offers in terms of yeah. let off and the feel of that back wall at full draw? Well, I mean, this, this kind of goes back a little bit to the target archery conversation. I think bow hunters get comfortable with, Hey, yeah, this feels good. You know, they go into a bow shop, they buy, they buy a bow and the, the bow tech was like, Hey, how does this feel? And if it's a new shooter, they're like, oh, well, I guess it feels good. They don't know. They just they just run with it. Ah, I guess it feels all right. Run it. Let's let's put it together and let's go shoot it. And they're just going off of the opinion of a bow tech. And I'm not saying that's not a valid, a valid um, way to go about it. But if you really want to dive into it, when you start worrying about hitting X's and volumes of accuracy, you will start to play with the other things. Um, D-loop length, let off, uh, string stop versus limb stop, um, weight, uh, um, weight on your stabilizers, front and back, left and right, um, clarifiers and all that stuff. Like you start playing with all of these other items um, to look at, you know, well, where... Where am I holding the best? Where am I executing the best? What feels the best to me? It's going to be individual. It's not going to be the same for everyone. There's no cookie cutter way to say this is the best way to shoot a compound bow. But there's really a best practices model of play with the let off from whatever ranges you can. Um, I, From a bow hunting standpoint, I shoot the highest let off I can get because I don't know how long I'm going to be stuck at full draw. 
from a compound perspective. That's what makes traditional archery so difficult because you have such a small window of opportunity with a trad bow. Like you really need to be practiced up and be prepared to make the shot when that opportunity comes and that's it. It's the only option. And um, yeah, you're, not, you're not, you're not standing there holding the string back for no 50 seconds. Yeah, no, definitely no. not. I mean, and, I, my, I shot a, a decent eight pointer two years ago with my black widow, 31 yards. I'm holding 49 pounds on my fingers. And you know, it was, it was one of those situations. It was the very first. And I, I told all my friends, I was like, listen, I, I started, I hunted trad for one year till I killed my first deer and it happened to be a buck. And I told them all like the first legal Pennsylvania buck that steps in front of me in shooting range. I am sending an arrow at that thing. This one just happened to be a, your typical Pennsylvania, like 110. And it was the first clear broadside shot I had and I was taking it. And, you know, I've shot every day for months. This was this. This is the first week of the season. Every day, all spring and summer long to get ready for that one shot. Every day. Because I'm shooting trad and it's tough. Aim with the tip of the arrow and trying to. So anyway. Okay, little, little so, so I know that's okay. There's something there. Remind me, we got to circle around to that because honestly, the mindset is the same. You, you know, maybe yeah, the 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 you know the technical aspects of it are different, but you have yeah. I think visualization. We want to maybe come to that next, but and, and I could probably talk to you all day, Frank, but we won't be able to. But we're we're getting a lot here. Back to that let off. You talked about going high let off because in a bow hunting situation, you might have to hold back for quite a while, which is not unusual. Um, yeah. Now, just wanted to note for those who might not know, that is the exact opposite of what your typical target shooter is going to do. A target shooters are typically going to go like a little bit higher let off. Yeah. 65% let off, maybe. I'd say between 65, 75 a lot. But yeah. and, and but with the less let off, okay, that gives you, you know, the the string is going to go that much quicker when you let it go. The less let off that's on the string, the faster that string's going to go. Like uh, if you've ever played with uh, elite bows, elite has what they call the dwell zone, or at least they did a couple of years ago. I don't know if they're still doing that, but like they have a really wide valley. And if you've ever had one of those at full draw and try to let down, man, it almost yeah, it feels. Yeah, it's so like the string it. isn't going to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, and that would be an example of what a, like a target, a paper shooter doesn't want that because the paper no, shooter wants really. that string to go right away. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're, because, because a target shooter is, has a sweet spot for, for timing, um, for timing and um, just, I think just in general, rhythm and timing together you have a sweet spot of full draw that your body, like once you get all that oxygen in your system and you're letting that, that dot settle in the middle of the target, you only have a window. There's a too early and there's too late. And there's a window, there's a sweet spot where you want that shot to activate the exact same every single time. And in bow hunting, we don't have that luxury necessarily. And that's just my opinion on the let off thing. Cause all I do, all I really do is on Pennsylvania white tail. Yeah. No, no, that might I, not be, that might I not think, be the, the standard for all bow hunters that are hunting elk and everything else across the, the country. Well, I think it's good. I think the answer is the answer is for a bow hunter 
you're going to have different considerations and and maybe you're willing to give up you know a tiny little bit of precision for the ability to hold the bow back for two minutes because let's face it you talked about earlier about settling and i don't think anybody wants to settle but there is definitely something Oh, freeing maybe isn't the relaxing, reassuring maybe is the best word. Like if I'm at full draw on a deer and I have the pin in the middle of the vital area, I know that if I even miss by say three inches in any direction from that spot, you're still going to kill the deer. Now that doesn't mean that I want to miss by three inches, but my point is there is a little more forgiveness on an animal you know, at least a decent size animal, deer and larger, you know, I mean, heck on an elk, you got a, you got an area the size of a watermelon, just hit the watermelon and you're going to punch your tag, you know? So, so we can get away with things like 85 and 90% let off because we don't have to hit a dime. You know what I mean? We have to hit a basketball or a softball or, a, you know, the old mythical pie plate. I want to know, I always used to joke about that. Who the hell's going out and shooting pie plates? I never shot a pie plate in my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I was a kid, you know and we were shooting before even 3d targets were a thing before ibo was a thing um you know the pie plate was like the thing i I, my first hunting bow was a browning recurve 40 pound browning recurve i had sight pins and a clicker on it don't get it twisted it wasn't trad um but my dad put up a pie plate and my dad was an archery pro like he worked in the local archery shop too and he was like listen son if you can keep the arrows in the pie pie plate you can you you can hunt and that the max distance that you can shoot at a deer is going to be the distance that you can keep all the arrows in a pie plate and he'd make me shoot like six arrows or something and you know i think at 12 years old it was around 25 30 yards max that was it uh, that's that that's where i was that was the discipline i needed to have this is where you can shoot this is the distance and that's it that was finger tab uh clickety clack that you put on the limb tie it back to the string and um that's what I had to hunt with. And it wasn't, it was, it's really not, it's, it's a, it's a legitimate thing. If you can keep the arrows in that big of a group for the most part, it's either liver or it's lungs, but still going to be a dead animal. And, you know, I think that was okay. And from a trad standpoint, that's a pretty good, that's, that's pretty good. If you can keep them in, you know, like that going back multiple distances, that's, that's a pretty good place to be. But, from a bow hunting standpoint, when we're t- when we get into compounds, don't settle for that. Please don't settle for that because you could do so much better. And I guess that's where, uh, if you wanted to put a comparison to the trad world and the compound world, you know, a softball sized group with a trad bow back to thirty yards is the equivalent of a quarter sized group with a compound, you know, back to 30, 40 yards. And and you have to don't don't settle for this when you know knowingly can shoot you know this as in the pie plate when you know you should be able to shoot that quarter size group back to 30 and really evaluate everything just to bring it full circle a little bit evaluate all of the variables in your commitment to archery and bow hunting to try to become that better shooter don't just settle for well that's good enough it's never yeah, good enough absolutely you, the life absolutely at the end of that arrow. You know, and so, and I want to come around 
And don't let me forget, again, I'm reminding you a second time to remind me, the, the <laughs> mindset, the visualization. But before we do that, because we talked about stance, draw length, we talked about, you know, back wall and let off. I have to have some conversation with you about release aids. And I know, okay, again, I, I'm talking to the barebow guy. I know you don't yeah, use a release you know. don't use a release aid but when you when you shoot barebow. But but you can't nobody's shooting fingers with combine. I mean, I know there's like eight guys still out there doing that, but yeah, there's do, a handful. You don't want to do that in today's world. But here's my thing when it comes to release aids. And, you know, I'm like a reformed smoker, you know, who likes to rail about cigarettes because I'm a reformed target panic guy who started the same way in this game that 99% of us started, which is exactly what you said earlier, Frank, you walk into the local pro shop, you know, with like 500 bucks, which at the mm -hmm. time was a lot of money. I think it was like somewhere, it was 500 and something dollars for my first bow. It was a used bow, a used PSE, but you get set up, you buy some arrows and whatnot. And what release do they sell you? Yeah, probably the cheapest one on the, on the hanging on the shelf. Well, but what kind, what's the style? Everybody oh, starts with it. Index it's, finger. It's the wrist strap index finger release aid. And to yep. your point, all the cheap ones, there are actually a few decent ones out there. Yeah. But the decent ones are few and far between relative to the volume Agreed. of what's available. Most, yep. most index finger release aids on the market have a really sloppy trigger with tons of travel. And yep. all we're doing is taking all these brand new archers, because don't forget, you know, somebody might buy their first bow because they want to go hunting. So they say, well, they're a new bow hunter. Well, guess what? They're a new archer too. I mean, these are basically, yeah. we're taking all these new archers and we're putting this thing around their wrist and we're giving them a product that is almost guaranteed to give them target panic over the course of time if they use that long enough. Because it's impossible for you to not to start to anticipate the shot when you start squeezing that trigger and the trigger has to move a quarter of an inch before the string goes. How can yep. your how can your conscious mind not start to anticipate the shot, Frank? Yeah, I mean you can. You you once it's ingrained the proper way, it's really it's really hard to fall back into that pattern. The problem is is once it's ingrained the wrong way and then you fix it, it's much easier to go back to that um the improper pattern. Um but yeah, and it's funny that you bring this up because I coach um I I do so, so S3DA is one of the bigger youth archery organizations shout out to uh Holly and and uh Kayla and all the people at at class 3D archery I teach their online certifications for their coaches and I dive into all like I dive deep into a lot more than what they typically do in like a single day certification class but that uh, I had a uh, a coach slash parent say to me last night on Zoom, like, hey, you know, what we're how how do you how do you execute an index finger sh shot, or index finger tr a trigger release um, shot? And I was like, well, what trigger release is it? And that was the very first conversation. Is oh, it's so I don't want to give out a company, but it's a so and so kit youth release because it's the only one small enough for it to fit this. The shooter i'm like oh okay i was like how smooth is it i said because there's probably a good chance that it's not it probably just go it's got two positions it's got open and it's got closed and to get to the open position you really got to hammer on it 
He's like, yeah, you really do, especially when you put weight on it. And I said, I was like, all right. I said, well, there's part of kind of starting behind the eight ball is is it's sort of it's great starter equipment because it's cost effective and and it's designed for a kid i said but at the same time it's not high quality and there's no smoothness to it so as you're um into your back and you're expanding or doing back contraction as larry always likes to point out and you're contracting that back and you're pulling through that shot it's not it's it, it takes an act of god to get that thing to go off because it's not really a smooth transition for a trigger, but then you go to a higher end trigger and then all of a sudden it makes a lot of sense when you're shooting some of these better index finger releases. That's, that's probably another podcast talking about the best releases on the market. I don't know how you're going to delineate that, but um, you know, but that's why when I shot compound with exception to this year, I had to use an index finger release because of the injury I have going on in my arm. I had to shoot compound because I can't hold a trad bow at full draw right now. So, and I can't hold it on my fingers, but with a, with a, I call them wrist rockets. With a wrist rocket, I could. Um, you know, you watch guys like Jack Wallace, who shoots for Dart and Archery right now. You watch some videos. Paige Pierce was a notorious index finger shooter until, up, up until a few years ago. They, they have some of the most flawless index finger um, activations on the internet. Um, both of which are are good friends of mine and you know there's ways to do it and that's a whole other podcast i'm not gonna lie to you christian because you no, can get no. into you can get shot process the, and form and all, here's all of that what, stuff i'm gonna just do this. this is my soapbox i get on every time we touch on this but let's let's cut to the chase your point about the people who do it well few and far between and the reason that they do it well is because they truly understand what a properly executed shot is. They know how to use back tension or expansion or whatever you want to call it to execute and fire that index finger release. And if you know how to do that, that's fine. But the problem that I have with the average bow hunter, and again, that's when I say that, it's because I am or slash was one, went through the whole target panic thing you know, was at the point at my lowest that I couldn't literally hit a, like a block target at 20 yards. I'd be sailing arrows into the woods. I've been there. And I know that the difference in my understanding and appreciation for a properly executed shot between where I was at that point and when John Dudley started to put hinge releases and then tension activated releases in my hands, which I now hunt and practice with a tension activated release, if you don't at least train or try a hinge or attention release, even if it's only during a practice session in your yard or at the local pro shop, until you experience actually activating your shot with one of those, it literally blew my mind. I mean, blew my mind. I, I couldn't believe I had read for decades about this mythical surprise release. And I yeah. thought that in my mind, I understood what that meant. But until I actually experienced it, Frank, I had no earthly idea exactly yeah. what a surprise release was. Now, let me circle that around to something that Randy Ulmer has written about many times. And that's this. If you want to come back to your index finger release for hunting season, that's fine. But train with attention 
release of some type during the off season, because it really not only teaches you what that surprise release is all about, but then once you know that, you can go back to the index finger release and you'll know if you're executing that with that same surprise release. And so it's not that the the actual equipment is bad, although there really is a lot of bad index finger releases out there. There are some good ones, okay? Spot well, there's pod. some bad. There's some not so good thumb yeah. releases out there as oh, well. Oh, sure, sure. They're just, there's no smoothness to it. It's, it's like I yeah. said, it's good. You got open and you got closed and that's it. And, and I'm actually going to give, you mentioned him earlier. He's a friend of mine, John Dudley. Um, a couple of years ago, two, three years ago now, he came out with an index finger release called the backstrap. And it has uh, an adjustment setting on it so that you can use that release as a traditional index finger trigger. So you can adjust it so that the bow won't go off uh, until you squeeze the trigger to let it go. Or you can adjust it so that, you can squeeze the trigger and then pull to pull through the shot and use it as a tension activated release. That to me, because there are an awful lot of folks out there and you who are listening, you know who you are. You absolutely refuse, flat out refuse. I can't tell you, you know who they are, Frank. There are so many guys, probably some ladies too, but stubborn guys all over this country who flat out refuse. I mean, I've put money on the table, flat out refuse to pick up any other release other than a wrist strap index finger and shoot their bow. Yeah, I don't get it. I, I I don't get it. But I will I will say this. We talked about <clears throat> again, we're kind of going down multiple uh rabbit holes here. Oh, excuse me. Um but if you're it goes back to the original part of the conversation we talked about biomechanics. You can shoot any release you want. You can have the highest uh highest price flagship bow, best release, best arrows, you can have it all. But if you're not set up properly and you're not actually in a good physical position to get into your back, it's all for not. It's all for not. And there's a real good chance if you're not getting into your back, because you said like that first time that you had a true surprise release, it's probably that was the pivotal moment where all of a sudden you started holding steadier shots started coming easier. And all of a sudden you enjoy the sport at a whole new level. Oh, oh, you know what? One of the best archery quotes of all time came again from John Dudley. He said something one time, probably during a podcast we did, that the best shots that he's ever made in his life were some of the easiest shots. Yeah. And the worst shots that he's made are some of the hardest shots. And so imagine this, right? Like, you know, like you, people will understand. It's like, imagine you're at full draw and you can't get the darn pin where you want it to go. And you're holding back a super long time. And now you're starting to get tired and your arms shaking and you're starting to have sweat run down your brow. And you finally like just punch the damn trigger because you know, you can't do it. And you end up like shooting a four, you know what I mean? And you're like, oh my my God, how bad do I suck? And it's like you worked so hard to shoot a crappy shot. Whereas conversely, Frank, when you're in the zone, man, you're just pounding the X time after time after time. Well, just think about if we put if we put that much effort into shooting the right shot all the time as we do into shooting the wrong shot. Like, so don't do it. Don't don't invest that time and time, energy and mental capacity 
into shooting bad shots. Make the decision today. I'm going to make the difference. I'm going to do it right now. I am only shooting good shots moving forward. And I'm going to make all the changes necessary to make sure that I'm in the right position and I'm shooting everything efficiently and that I am willing to um, take on that sacrifice of just letting it sit and activating it the right way. And, you know, in, in a traditional world, it doesn't change unless you're shooting like instinctive. If you're a barebow shooter, you're, you shoot a fixed crawl and you're po shooting point on and you're aiming at the point of the arrow or however you're gap shooting from the top of the animal to the bottom of the animal, depending on where your crawl is and stuff like that. And I don't know, Christian, if you know what I mean by crawl. Or I, have, crawl. I have no yeah, idea. <laughs> it's still the same. It's the same. It's the same commitment just maybe a little bit more of a difficult level because of the nature of the equipment that we're using. And I guess that's, you know, if this, this podcast has been back and forth, you know, you introduced me as a barebow track guy, but in reality, it's, it's, it's all relatable. It's just, there's degrees to it all. And the degree of difficulty in shooting an animal with a wood bow, like a long bow or a self bow, a long bow, a recurve, a bare bow, a compound and then a crossbow like that's your tier right there you know so like from super super hard to relatively okay let's say it's super easy and going from top <laughs> to bottom but i <laughs> sorry that was that was it was a joke everyone please don't don't be upset with me it wasn't um, you were dead serious i 100 support crossbow hunters don't 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 go there i'm not it's, it's just a joke um but no, but they, they, it is, it's tiered. I mean, I went from shooting traditional to shooting compound because I have an injury. How many people go from compound to crossbows because of injuries? It's the same principle, same concept. I'm not ashamed well, about a two uh, buck the last two years with a compound at all. Super happy about it. I love it. You well, here, okay. Here's a question, you know, probably should have asked you like an hour ago, and, <laughs> but we'll, let's say, you know, well, I mean, I don't, I, I have, like I told you, I have some stick bows. I don't shoot mm -hmm. them very much. Will, will putting away my compound for a while in the off season and just shooting my traditional bows for a while, will that make me a better compound shooter or can it? Listen closely. I'm going to say this. Every new shooter should start with a recurve in their hand first. Why is that? Back tension. You learn back tension from the word go. Right from the start. Just even if it's only for a half hour before you put a compound in there, in their um, in their hand. If it's a, a full hour lesson before you physically put that bow, they that well nowadays, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollar bow in their hands. Put a recurve in their hands, teach them the proper um form shot process and execution spend a half hour with that shooter before you even put that bow in their hand then let them go into it and then as a as an archer if you're a bow hunter out there shooting a compound go get yourself you can find them online you can go to go to any one of these suppliers and get a 150 dollar longbow or a recurve right off right off like lancaster or wherever Kidney, yeah, i was gonna say i'll give a i give a plug because i actually didn't do it i can't believe i didn't do it frank and i have to well, we're almost done the podcast and i forgot to pay the bills you want to go to lancaster archery supply lancaster because archery supply. 
Yes. For all your bow hunting needs, you go to LancasterArchery.com. And why is that, Frank? I'll tell you why. It's because they've got the gear, they've got the knowledge, and they've got the passion. So I was supposed to do that like back when I was supposed to ask you about traditional archery like an hour ago. So thank you. Thank you for saving me and making sure we had a shameless plug for our sponsor in there. Good old Rob Koffel, Rob and Carol Koffel. Um, yeah, yeah. The number one in 3D and target archery, I think, is the term that they use in their commercials. Yeah, but um, they also literally have... Honest, honest to God, anything you could ever need for a bow hunt from trail cameras to camo yeah. to, yeah, you literally like you name it. They sponsor my podcast too. So shout out to Lancaster Archer Supply. Thank you, Rob and Carol. I, I didn't know you were a competitor. I never would have had you on the show. Dang it. My, my, my environment is not the same as yours, Christian. You know that. Well, I'm strictly competition archery. Um, well, anyway. let let, uh, let anyway. me ask you another question, you know, and we got to wrap it up before too long, but I, I got to know this. Do traditional archers shoot like blind bail at all? Is there a purpose in that for, um, the, for you guys? Yeah, I, 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 I teach it and and utilize it in my coaching a ton. Yes. Do um, a ton of your like. um trad guys that are that are just not a ton of them that are out there a, a regular trad bow hunter let's you want to use that as an equivalent term to what you're referencing yourself that's a guy that goes out and just kind of shoots instinctive wings arrows in the backyard and then goes out and tries to get a shot at a deer under 20 yards okay they may not be doing that in their backyard from a competitive standpoint and those of us that um probably take the level of accuracy with traditional archery to a little bit of a higher level. We are doing shooting drills. We're doing holding drills. We're doing blind bail. We're doing um, like close games at small targets, like the three spot target and trying to hit the X 30 times in a row. We're doing stuff like that. And that's because it is so demanding and so difficult to do and to be accurate at longer distances with a traditional style bow, albeit I'll be a bear bow or a wood bow or whatever that we have to do all that extra stuff just to be within that pie plate or a little better. And I think compound archers, um, bow hunters specifically probably take for granted the carryover of doing that extra, what almost seems like monotonous stuff. They, they don't appreciate, appreciate the value in it. And what and how it makes them such a, a better shooter. And I'll, I'll I'll explain to you the way that I describe it. We can stand on a shooting line and shoot at a target. Let's say we shoot 100 arrows that day. And out of those 100 arrows, only half of them were really a good shot. Like like half of that 100, 50 of those arrows were were um, were really what I would classify like a 9.0 out of 10 and above, okay? Like really, really high quality, 90% accuracy, right? When you do blind bail, let's say you shoot right now, Christian, you go right now, you go down to your garage and you shoot 50 blind bail arrows. On a level of, if you had to measure those arrows from us on a scale of one to 10, 10 being absolutely perfect, how many of those 50 blind bail are probably gonna be um, close to that 10 mark? 
How many? Yeah, how many? Like, like out of the hundred, out of the fifty that you just did, or, or let's go for a hundred. Let's go for a hundred just to keep it even, even numbers. Out of a hundred shots at Blind Bell, how many of those are going to be really, really close to perfect? Well, it's not a trick question. I mean, I don't know. Half? Like, here's the thing. I think it'd be more than half. I think it'd you're, be more than half. You're you're not you're not worried about where the arrow goes. So accuracy right. is irrelevant in this question. Right. So um, as you're asking me this question, I'm like, okay, I shoot a tension activated release. So I'm gonna be pulling into all these shots, but am I going to really be like keeping my grip consistent and am I going to be following through or am I going to be just dropping my arm because I'm like, geez, I got 96 of these more to yet do. And I yeah. just want to get through them. And that that's kind of what my thought process is, as you were asking me. Okay, that. that's fine. No, but you're executing those arrows, right? You're executing them with a specific goal in mind is, is your execution the same, right? Yeah. Execution, execution. I just, yeah, I just not worried feel, about where it's hitting. No, I just want to feel the shot. Right. Go. Yeah. I want, so, I want to feel, I want to pull through that release. Yep. And right. feel the bow just shooting the shot. So we, there's probably a good chance that those arrows are going to be high quality arrows. That's the purpose of shooting drills, right? A higher volume of quality arrows. So what's going to carry over better in the long run, a higher volume of quality arrows or say only 50% of those yeah. arrows were actually I, Right. So, so, okay. So I, obvious, the answer is obvious. And so yes. then the question, the question is then Frank, and this is great because this can, we can all apply this in our own shooting uh, efforts, if you will. So yeah. are we better off shooting, you know, 10 shots blank bail and a hundred shots trying to hit the target, or are we better off shooting a hundred shots blank bail and then going out on the range and saying, Hey, I'm only going to let myself 10 times to try to make the best 10 arrows that I can at the target at the 3d target or the paper or whatever. I think you are, I think you're knocking on the door of something that definitely applies in some circumstances i don't think that levi morgan is going to have to shoot blind bail to get better at this point i think that the bow hunter who's six months into um shooting archery is would benefit from shooting a, a ton of shooting drills um leading up to the season i think that the novice recreational bow hunter that wants to start shooting competitively would would have significant carryover. And I will tell you this, every compound, every shooter, frankly, at every shooter, barebow, compound Olympic recurve, I have blind bail has been a significant part of their recovery from shooting, um, dealing with target panic because your focus, your mental focus changes when you close your eyes and you are shooting at that um you're you're just visualizing the shot and and accepting the feel of a proper shot and the more that you ingrain that into your system the easier it's to do when it matters the most yep that's good that's really good so like i said we we could go on and on and and you know yeah we've been a little shotgun you know a little bit scattered on this but yeah. we've touched on some good points and I think the overarching point is obvious, which is you want to improve as a shooter. Well, you got to shoot, you know, you got to put time in to shooting. And that's not just, you know, shooting 
at the targets, right? It could be blind bail. It could be drills. It could be taking your bow into a pro shop where you know that there's a tech that knows what he or she is doing and having it checked. Make sure that draw length is right. Now's the time, you know, and we didn't even get into equipment. We could do a whole yeah. other episode about like buying accuracy because I think to at least some extent, you can absolutely buy, you know, some accuracy or buy, um, you can buy quality. Let's say that you can buy quality and some of that quality will make a appreciable difference in, you know, your shooting, I think. Some of it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a little bit of a honeymoon period to buying new equipment. You buy it, you're super amped up, you're super motivated, but then if you don't have the proper shot process and mental process, cause they go hand in hand ingrained in, in, in you as a shooter, old habits come back. doesn't matter what equipment you have. So there's a, the, you know, but to your point, it's the twenty nine ninety nine index finger release and the $150 index finger release. I'm just throwing that number out there. I don't know if there's any release that costs that there's I guarantee you there's that yeah, and higher. Yeah, yeah. But well, I definitely from a three finger and a, and a back tension release, I can tell you that much, but I don't shoot a lot of index finger. So, um, but with that being said, like there's definitely a, a quality of uh quality difference that can have an effect on Yes. You know, now, now I'll also, yeah. And I'll also say this is that there is also times when it's just not necessary. Like I'll give you an example now. Oof, maybe I shouldn't say this. I, I'll lose an advertiser, but like you can buy arrows that are plus or minus one, one thousandth or plus or minus three, one thousandth. I, I don't think, going. I don't think the average bow hunter can outshoot the three 1000 arrows. So if you're going to pay an extra $50 for the straighter ones, I, I don't know that it's necessary. Um, again, yeah. Does Levi Morgan want the straightest arrow? Oh, you bet your tiny he does, but yeah, well, but Levi, Morgan Levi Morgan punches <laughs> golf ball size groups at 120 yards. So, I mean, it's not, it's, it's a different, it's a different animal. Um, and plus, like, you know, Levi is not going to not shoot the best available because the companies want him to shoot the best available. Which, by yeah. the way, I mean, I guess I'm going to have to try some ultra arrows this year. Oh, I don't yeah, even, I, I don't even like really know anything about him. I guess Scott Archery started that up. Yeah. Um, they're going to have to be pretty darn good because that guy accomplished a couple of things with gold tip. So he must. Quite a few things. I, yeah. I mean, I'm sure. I'm going to go out on a limb and say the ultra arrows are decent because he didn't just agree to make that switch for a pile of money. I guarantee you he shot a hundred thousand shots with those arrows. Before yeah, he I don't know the particulars that. of that situation. I have got to think that Levi has some stake in the game. Um, Darren Christenberry is a good friend of Levi's. Darren's a really good guy. Um, I don't, I don't want to act. I don't want to make it sound like I know them. I've talked to Darren a handful of times and it's just in passing. So you know, but I know enough of them and who they are in the industry to know that they wouldn't take something like this lightly. Um, and I'll tell you what I did see, which was kind of cool, is even departing from Gold Tip. Gold Tip really put, you know, some um, kind words out there in regards to their long term relationship. Yes. And it's nice to see that in the industry. This is outside of the podcast for sure. But it was so nice and kind of refreshing to see that positivity on social media because we don't oh, <laughs> things get was, a little wild sometimes out there in social media land. And it was just it nice was, to see. 
it was classy, right? It was, it was classy. classy. It was it was kind of like um, you know, maybe Bill Belichick leaving the Patriots this offseason if that's the way it goes down, right? You don't want to yeah. you might you might have to part ways, but you don't kick him on the way out the door cuz he's done so much for that franchise yeah. and Levi has done so much for uh, you know, pretty much everybody that he's ever been yeah, associated with. Yeah, Archer yeah. in general. I mean, uh, it's yeah, definitely um, a Hall of Famer, a future Archery Hall of Famer. I sure would hope. Well, just so you know, and this is where we're going to wrap it up, Frank, because I can't do any better for you. So this is it. Just remember, Frank McDonough is almost Levi Morgan level to barebone. Not quite, but almost. What you know? What leave? <laughs> all right, I try. I, I all right. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate. You're pretty it. good. All right, all right. I'm, pre I'm pretty but good. I'm definitely pretty good. better than most. I am definitely better than most. But I think again, just my my career changed when I chose to take on the unknown side of coaching barebow and coaching traditional archery. That's where I found my niche because, but I had to step away from worrying about competing and really redefine how to coach that and, and, and push people to be uh, elite shooters. And that's where my success has definitely come. And, and it didn't come without learning from compound archers and compound coaches and Olympic recurve shooters and Olympic recurve coaches and combining everything all into one to say, listen, we need to think outside the box and all, and all, and all aspects to get better. Well, there Don't, you go. So, so yeah, so step out of your comfort zone this off season. Try some new things. Maybe it's a like whole new bow. discipline. Maybe it's just a whole bunch of things you've never done before with your own compound equipment. And remember, like Frank said, that we're all better off together than we are on our own. So so you need you need a willingness to learn, some humility, and a good archery community can take you a long way, right? Absolutely. All right. Well, listen, Frank, like I said, a great conversation. Appreciate your time. Best of luck with the surgery. And, you know, I wish you a very speedy and full recovery. And I expect that we'll see you back shooting the bear bow again, you know, in can't good time. Wait. Yeah. Can't wait. Thank you so much, Christian. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.